0: Hello, this is your host, Art Fuller, PhD, coming to you courtesy of Smash Cut Productions in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome to the Five Minute Expert. This is episode 26. Pass the salt mine, please. Our sponsor today is Morton's. No, not the well-known brand of table salt we all grew up with. Morton's is the mortician's friend. Used to scrub embalming tables and embalming tools, It gets the gunk out, but good. Got a blood stain that won't come off? Try Morton's. We don't think much about salt nowadays. In fact, salt is so common, we have gourmet varieties. Red and black Hawaiian salt, Himalayan pink salt, all kinds of sea salt, including fleur de sel, smoked salt, and dozens of other types. In small amounts, salt curbs bitterness, enhances sweet, sour, and umami, giving sweet and sour dishes a more two-dimensional taste. At higher concentrations, it reduces sweetness, making it perfect for savory and meat dishes. Yes, salt is easy to overlook, but before refrigeration, it was essential for preserving food, not to mention that a minimum amount of salt is necessary for a healthy diet. But at various times in history, salt has been weaponized. One such instance was the American Civil War, or as Southerners like to call it, the War of Northern Aggression. In the 1800s, most American salt production took place in the North. Millions of years ago, an inland sea near Syracuse, New York, gradually filled in with sediment, leaving behind massive salt deposits and brine springs. By 1862, the Onondaga, salt works turned these deposits into 9 million bushels of salt. Workers pumped water from the salty springs and boiled and sun-dried it. The South, on the other hand, depended on imported salt, much of which was used as ballast when foreign ships came for southern cotton. Union officials realized early in the war that salt was the key to feeding soldiers and civilians in the South. As soon as Southerners built their own facilities to make salt, they became military targets. The Civil War began in April 1861, and immediately the Union blockaded the Confederate states to stall the export of money-making cotton. The blockade made staples such as coffee and flour scarce almost overnight. Some imported salt continued to come through the blockade, but it was never enough. Some recipes for Confederate plum cake, swapped oatmeal for flour, sorghum for sugar, and lard for butter, but finding a salt substitute was harder. Desperate Southerners even reused salt by brushing it off their salted meat or boiling it out of the floorboards of smokehouses. Preserving meat was the biggest problem. Salted beef and pork were staples for soldiers and civilians alike. In the hog-raising South, the situation quickly became dire. The Commissary General of the Confederacy, Lucius B. Northrup fretted over the lack, writing to another official in 1862 that, quote, in consequence of the insufficient quantity and inferior quality of salt among the inhabitants, much of their meat is spoiling, unquote. Speculation and shipping problems compounded the problem, At the beginning of the war, a 200 pound sack of salt in New Orleans cost 50 cents. By 1862, the price had skyrocketed to $25. Soon, Southern states offered rewards to those who found and harvested salt. During the Civil War, Avery Island, Louisiana, became one of many burgeoning salt works across the South. Avery Island isn't an island at all. Surrounded by marsh, it's a massive salt dome. That salt sat relatively undisturbed until the Civil War, when suddenly it became a precious commodity. Salt was so important that many laborers working rock salt mines and saline wells were exempt from military service. Some workers, though, didn't have a choice. Many slaves, both men and women, were forced to labor in the salt mines. Union leaders realized keeping salt from the South could win the war. What good could it do to destroy salt? The United States Navy Admiral David Dixon Porter asked, rhetorically 20 years after the war, quote, It was the life of the Confederate Army. They could not pack their meats without it. A soldier with a small piece of boiled beef, six ounces of cornmeal, and four ounces of salt was provisioned for a three-day march." Soon, raids on salt works became a matter of military strategy. The Union's tactics culminated with repeated attacks on the aptly named Saltville, Virginia, which was finally captured in December of 1864. It was the end of most of the salt-making in the South. The lack of salt and other supplies was a major factor in the Confederacy's defeat in the Civil War. After the Union destroyed Avery Island, Louisiana salt works, their former manager, a one-time banker named Edmund McElhenney, was ruined. Returning to Avery Island years after fleeing Union forces, he had nothing to do but putter around his garden, where he grew some interesting hot peppers. It only took a few years before McElhenney was using a potato masher and an old Confederate supply depot factory to manufacture tart, spicy Tabasco. Seasoned with Avery Island salt, of course. But that's a story for another episode. Larry, what do we have in our mailbag today? Herman in Erbach, Germany writes, I can sympathize with Southerners and Siri. She doesn't seem to understand German very well either. I'm waiting for Apple to come out with Helga. Maybe she will comprehend what I'm saying. Herman, hang in there, man. Helga will hopefully be here before you can say sauerkraut. Next, Sheila in Lard Butte, Texas, emailed to say, Why doesn't anybody do a podcast about baby beauty pageants? There are some awfully pretty babies here in Lard Butte, and somebody needs to get off their duff and talk about them. Sheila, I have no doubt your town is full of beautiful, bouncing babies that there's no market for podcasts about baby Miss Americas. However, because we love our listeners, I will have Larry investigate the feasibility of an episode on baby pageants. Lastly, D. Wayne, that's D. Period Wayne, doesn't say where D. Wayne is from, informs us that I really enjoyed your show on salt. It was very informative. Maybe you could do one on Tabasco sauce in the future. Larry, How can this be? The show on salt is just going out today. We can't be getting emails on a show that hasn't been released yet. Well, if you didn't have any other emails, you should have just said so. There's no reason to go making up some phony listener email. People have got to know this show has some degree of integrity. Okay, just don't let it happen again. Well, that's all the time we have, folks. Tell one person about the podcast. You'll feel better about yourself because you did.